0: Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed. Song of the redeemed. Thank you once again for tuning to the podcast. This is our Wednesday edition of the podcast. This is evangelist Tim McVeigh. would like to welcome each of you that listen. Some of you have to listen each and every day. Some of you will be behind the schedule, and that's all right as well. We have some homeschoolers that listen, those that use us for chapel service. We rejoice and we thank God for each and every one of you. This Sunday, we'll begin over the mountain. We'll be in Saltillo, Pennsylvania. begin on Sunday, uh, be there Sunday night. And then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, we'll also be in Saltillo, 7 p.m. each night. That's the Calvary Independent Baptist Church. In Saltillo, Pennsylvania. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you come. This is an open invitation for you to come and just let you know about that meeting. We're doing something unique this Saturday as well. And I'm going to go ahead and mention this today on the podcast and only today. This Saturday at 1 o'clock p.m., and then again at 3 o'clock p.m., we're going to have a special Bible study here at our home. If the weather's nice, we'll go on the back porch. If the weather's not nice, we'll probably come inside. I don't know how many people to expect, but it's something that we've kind of put together. We have some folks coming in for that. We've had about 15 people so far contact us uh, that said they'd like to attend. We're hoping to have some more come in. And we're going to expound things in the book of Job, as far as I know. And So we just want to invite you to that if you're in the area here, uh, anywhere near Chambersburg or Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, we'd love to have you come to that. Uh, Just reach out, contact us. We can give you more information or just show up here at the house at 1 o'clock on Saturday. That's this coming Saturday. And so we're looking forward to that. And the Lord's been good to us. We thank the Lord for giving the opportunity to have a Bible study, have preaching here at the home. We did this for about 14 months during the time of COVID, when COVID first hit. And then our last uh, Bible study we had, Brother Ronnie Scolton came and preached here in our home. Uh, His daughter, Chelsea, had been saved for several months, and she uh, gave a good word of testimony how God had saved her. And so we've had many, many people come during those months and come and preach Bible study and teach us and instruct us and how we thank God for that. And so we're going to try that one more time. I feel like the Lord's going to have us do that this coming Saturday. You're welcome to attend those services. We're going to digress slightly here in the book of Nehemiah, digress only in chapter, not in doctrine. But I want to go back and look at something here with the word of the Lord. And as Ezra the scribe stood, and of course Ezra documents this well, Nehemiah documents this well, uh, but when the word of the Lord was read, the word of the Lord was uh, brought to the people, they were gathered together. And in Nehemiah chapter 8 in verse 1, the word of God says that the people came together uh, as one man. So they came together with a desire, came together with the same heart, the same thinking, the same mind. And Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And so somebody said, we need the book of the law of Moses. We need to get back to the law of God. And uh, no doubt, that's the cry today. That's the plea for people today. Get back to God's law. Get back to the word of God. Uh, The liberal, the churlish, the foolish— Uh, reject the law of God. They think it's absolutely obsolete. There's no need to have God's law. Yet we see in this passage how important it is for God's law to be read. As the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday Before the men and the women and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive under the book of the law. Now, we know in this day and age in which we live, a lot of the problem we have is there's a dearth in the Lamb. That dearth is a famine of hearing. Men will not hear the word of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? But secondarily to that, God has to circumcise the ear so that they can hear. And there are men that will not hear today. Uh, You can preach clearly and and give things explanation wise as far as understanding in English. And you can bring the word of God to men. They will not hear. Their ears are not in tune to what God is saying. And that's part of the problem we deal with in church today. Men will stare at you and they have that spirit of slumber upon them. And uh, they come in there with the spirit of slumber. They have their eyes open, but they're just completely somewhere else in their thinking. It's programmed into most people as a young child. I look at young children, older than my children, but younger than teenagers, and they sit there with that blank expression on their face, and then they become teenagers, and you realize that nothing has changed. Uh, They sit there with that dullard expression on their face, They're not listening. They're not hearing what's being said. They can connect with the nuances of the physical things. They can connect with uh, carnal things. They can understand the stories about hamburgers and hot dogs and ice cream, but they do not understand the words of God. And so it was in this day with Ezra and Nehemiah, men have so uh, tuned out the word of God and so tuned out the laws of God, then when it's read, the people gave attention to hear. They wanted to hear what God said. And so Ezra stood upon a pulpit of wood in verse four. It was made for that purpose. He opened the book. He's in the sight of all the people. When he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And, you know, it's interesting. You hear people contend over that standing during the reading of scripture. I go in churches where it's customary to stand. I've said a couple of places. I said, I didn't stand you up. Therefore, you can sit down yourselves. And uh, they just customarily stand. It's what they do. There's others that do not do that. I've heard men contend over that because the congregation stood with, as we read the law of God. They have people stand. I heard a man say Catholic churches stand when you read the Bible, so he won't have people stand. There's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just personal opinion, personal thought. Some stand for the reading of the Word of God. Some sit for the reading of the Word of God. And to be honest with you, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I normally sit for my daily devotional. And when I sit and read the Word of God, and I just read just the book of Esther this morning. I had a crunch for time. And I sat throughout the reading of the book of Esther. So it would be a shame for me to get in church and have people stand up for the reading of Esther uh, when I myself sat down for it today. So I don't want to be a hypocrite in that. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. for He was above all the people And when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And notice this, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, I want you to notice this. They weren't on their face. They were standing, but they put their faces toward the ground. They bowed their heads. They lifted up their hands. Reaching untoward heaven and bowed their face towards the ground. Again, is this dogmatic? No, but it is a practice in worship. Today, they got their heads back and they got that dreamy look on their face and their head moves side to side as they stare up at a black ceiling with LED crimson lights flickering across it. And, you know, but no, in the days of Ezra, they lifted up holy hands without wrath or doubting and they bowed their heads as they stood. And he goes on then, he says in verse 8 then, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and that's what I really want to talk about today, the distinction of reading the book of the the law of God, making it clear. And those that were strangers in this place, some of them could not understand the words that were being said. Many of them could not understand these words. And for many years, I've known missionaries that they have one of two arguments. One, they need to translate uh, in the language of the people that they're, they're worshiping with, the people that they're trying to reach, or secondly, is they need to teach those people English so they can read the King James Bible. I won't contend with a man either way, but the the problem is, is a lot of times the distinctions are not there. The, the nuances in language are not there. The understanding of dialect is not there. You can't go to language school and understand uh, the dialect amongst the people. It'd hey, be like going to the East Coast and saying, okay, I'm going to the East Coast of the United States. I'm going to learn English and then going to Oxford University, taking 12 months of English at Oxford University, and then coming to the East Coast and practicing your English is about as desperate as that. You get down the coast of Ocracoke Island, and they speak a completely different language down there. Uh, You go to Charleston. Of course, in Charleston, South Carolina, you'll probably be more in touch with the Oxford English than most places, but... When it comes to food and it comes to little ideals, and comes to common phrases and things like that, you'd be quite confused, quite misunderstanding of what they're speaking about. And you yourself would not have the words to say because you never learned those words. And you go into Appalachian, you go to Wheelbarrow, North Carolina, and up in the mountains there above Hickory, and the people could completely speak a different dialect there. It's the Appalachian uh, region, and it's it's what they call this little pocket there in Southern Virginia, it goes down to South Carolina, partially into Tennessee, but that area of North Carolina contains a completely different accent, completely different words, a completely different dialect than the rest of the country. You go into parts of West Virginia, and they speak completely different dialect. You go up into Maine, and people in Maine, my wife knows a lady in Maine, she has trouble understanding what she says. Well, it's a completely different dialect. Are we speaking the same language? Well, yes, yeah, sort of. But it doesn't mean that I know that language. And so I need to speak with distinction. I need to use Bible words to distinctly bring a message to people. You can't go overseas and preach a message on country ham and biscuits and cathead biscuits soft with gravy because they don't have any concept of what you're speaking about. And if you go in the, in the northern territory of, of the United States, up into Maine and in Boston and places like that, you talk about chowder. They understand that, but you go to a foreign country where they might even speak English, you talk about chowder and lobster beak and all of those things. They have no clue what you're talking about. And yet there's a men today that use those phrases and use those as uh, ways to try to get their points across and use, you know, cultural things and ideal things that, Yet that's not the distinction that the Lord is talking about. They spoke distinctly about the word of God. And I said all that to say this, what needs to be preached today and taught today, it's fine to use illustration, it's fine to use cultural things, but the message of Jesus Christ is a universal message. And I am afraid there's some today that cannot preach a universal message because cultural distinctions have kept them from preaching a message to whosoever will. They couldn't go to South Africa and preach the same message they preach here because they have culturally separated themselves and culturally they're preaching a message accepted by a very small segment of society, accepted by a very small segment of an English speaking people, yet many English speaking people would have no concept of what they're preaching because they are, they're preaching a cultural message, God forbid. This man did not stand and read the law of God and preach a cultural message. He brought forth the law of God. The law of God broads every culture and crosses every path and crosses every dialect and touches every person. It is the universal gospel, and you can't change that. And that's why we must get back to the law of God. Now, people blame their culture for sin. And I, I like what the old preacher said many, many years ago. He said the problem with culture is you leave it long enough and eventually it grows in a petri dish. And that's really what happens because it becomes funky. It becomes moldy. And so we need to get away from cultural preach. That's what Ezra was doing. He was standing in a pulpit. He was dividing Israel with the law of God. We see that in the next several chapters when Nehemiah purges the priesthood Even a priest that was married to the daughter of Sanballat the Horonite kicked him out of the priesthood. Anyone that had defiled himself with the abominable things was kicked out of the priesthood. Those that bought and sold and exchanged on Sabbath day were kicked out of Jerusalem. When they came to the gates of Jerusalem to sell again, Nehemiah told them, I'll lay hands on you if you come back again here on the Sabbath day. He purged, he purified, he separated, he drew distinctions. That's what the law of God does. That's why it's hated. That's why men don't want to preach it. It does divide. It does separate. It separates the holy from the profane, and the profane must be separated today. That's what preaching of the law does. That's what God's law will do. That's what the preaching of the cross will do. He spoke distinctly in the word of God and gave the sense and cause them to understand the reading. They, people say, well, that's too far above people. No, it's so simple. It's so base. It's the absolute basics of the doctrines of the word of God. Thou shalt not. I am the Lord thy God. And thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. And I am the Lord thy God. And he goes on and on. I am the Lord thy God. And by the way, there's some things also they shall do. And that's what we're talking about here, because we see this as Nehemiah is teaching the people. Next verse, he said, this day is holy unto the Lord your God, Mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so he told him, don't weep over this law. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And oh, what a blessing to hear the joy of the Lord is our strength. Go and eat and be merry. Go and take the sweet things and be merry. Go get the fat. The Levites stilled all the people, saying, hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. This is the Lord's day. How can we mourn on the Lord's day? How can we grieve on the Lord's day? How can we be sorrowful on the Lord's day when the joy of the Lord is our strength, and to lift up our hands and to worship him and to have the joy of the law being read? Oh, what a victory that is. Mourn not, children, rejoice because the law is being read. And the people went their way, all the people went their way to eat, and to drink, to send portions, and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. They wept for a moment, but then there was joy in the camp. They wept when the words of God were understood, but then there was joy in the camp. I'll tell you why we try to encourage people rather than exhort people today, because people are burdened down with weights and with sorrow and with sin. People are burdened down with the affairs of life. And there's no joy in their homes, no joy in their families, no joy in their churches, no joy in their hearts. And they're burdened down with sin. And someone needs to preach the law to them. It'll make them free from that burden if someone would just stand to preach the law of God. He goes on down through this. And for the sake of time, I'm going to skip over some of this. But in verse 16, the people went forth and brought them, made themselves booths. And upon the roof of his house, in the courts, in the courts of the house of God in the streets of the water gate, in the street of the gate of Ephraim, and all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booze, and sat into the booze, for since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. Why? They had seen the feast of God. They had seen that God required that mirth. God required that feast. It brought joy to the Lord to see them. And it brought gladness to their hearts to sit in those booths and to worship the Most High God and see that offering offered in in Israel and to see Jerusalem restored, to see God restoring and God working and God moving when the law of God was read. In the last verse of Nehemiah eight says also, day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly, according unto the manner. So it's interesting. He read the law of God for seven days, and after that they had wept, they had feasted, they had mourned. There was joy. There was rejoicing. But then the Bible said the eighth day was a solemn assembly. They weren't hooting and hollering and running and screaming and shouting. There was a solemnness. Why? Because they had already seen the work of God, the move of God. They had seen the tears. They had brought forth tears. They had brought forth much sorrow. They were grieved in their hearts. Then God restored their joy. And God restored their feast. And God restored them again. And on that eighth day, they gathered together. It was a solemn assembly. They worshiped the Lord their God. Just a little exhortation on the reading of the law of God. There is a lost soul who is tired of the sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord as he cries for forgiveness and mercy. God is waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com 17006 Thank you for listening and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow and remember to look up for your redemption only at night. Now the angels of God are rejoicing for the prodigal child has come home and the saints all with gladness are singing the glory, a song of the re-